UFOs? Are they aliens? Government secret projects? The imaginings of disturbed individuals? Or just outright hoaxes? We're here to find out. Welcome to Jim Harold's UFO Encounters. Well, welcome to UFO Encounters. I'm Jim Harold, and I am so glad to be with you tonight. And I'm uh, feeling fortunate that we have our guest tonight because it looks like a fascinating topic. We're going to talk about extraplanetary experiences, specifically alien-human contact and the expansion of consciousness. And it's uh, about the a book by that same name. Uh, the author is Thomas Stryker, PhD, and he's with us tonight. And a word about him before we get going. Um, he was a student of John Mack, the, the famous John Mack. Uh, uh, Thomas earned his doctorate in psychology from Saybrook University, and he's the founder and director of Divine Spark, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people through free meals and other means to activate the Divine Spark within each of them. He lives in Nevada City, California. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, you're very welcome. I really appreciate being on your show. So, I, I, explain to us, what, how do you define an extraplanetary experience? Well, you know, that's interesting that you ask me that because, you know, it's a term I invented. And, you know, I'm trying to get it defined as we speak. You know, there, there is a, a definition for it, of course, and I'll try to be more precise with it as we go on and talk about it. But basically, this extraplanetary experience is a new term that I'm introducing to psychology and to the world. And there's an abbreviation for it, XPE is the other part of it. So we're hoping it's going to be a hit. In a way, I like to, when I say a hit, I mean that we can get it out there so we can study it, so I can study it a little bit more closely. So extraplanetary experience is a pretty much a introductory term, basically signifying or somebody's self-report or reported experience of somebody going to another planet star or moon and that's pretty the first part of it so if we looked at let's say edgar mitchell an astronaut you know that went to the moon you right. know on the on the apollo missions and you know he went there got out walked around and came back and that was such a significant experience and i like to use that experience because i think it's a little bit easier for people to relate to that experience because most people believe now that we did go to the moon there are some people that still doubt that <laughs> But there are a lot of people that believe that, and they've seen photographs, read books, and even seen other, you know, evidence of that. And so it helps people understand, well, it's, it is possible, I guess, to go off the planet and, you know, get a view of that and what that could possibly be like, you know, as, I guess, forever active in our imagination. But for these people that say they've done it, you know, and that's what the book's about, or the people that say they've done it, is that uh, it's altered their consciousness. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, when I, when I say alter their consciousness, through the experience, like with getting back to Edgar Mitchell again, it's about uh, his experience, what altered his experience the most is when he was coming back to Earth and seeing Earth, you know, just going towards it. Mm -hmm. You could imagine that. He said he's still trying to unravel that experience. You know, it's like, I was off the planet, you know, I was on another place walking around and here I'm going back to where, you know, I think I'm from. You know, it, it was, so we called his uh, experience the 
uh, in Apollo Samadhi because he's still unraveling it, and it's such a mystical type experience. So that, that's why I thought these experiences are so important. Uh, absolutely. And it reminds me a little bit of the near-death experience when people say once they've had an NDE, that they have a very different way of looking at things. Now, you also interviewed, I think it was a total of seven people, six other people who had uh, quite a different experience and maybe a more, I guess, non-traditional extraplanetary experience. Can you talk about some of those? We have more ethereal. You know, they went out of body, um, you know, in different ways. Like, let's look at Marilyn Hughes and her experiences to other planets. Because Marilyn's very active. Uh, she writes quite a bit. I consider her more, almost a prolific writer of her experience, out of body experiences of going to different places. But uh, I worked with her in regards to her experiences of going to another planet. So she talked, you know, she could have talked a lot longer, but we sat down and talked for a couple hours about her experiences going to another planet and what that was like for her. And it was so amazing about this was that I could compare her experiences, you know, what she experienced, and, you know, the signposts, the conclusions that she had were very similar to what other people were saying about their experience. So that's why in the book I have what I call them, you know, signposts of changing consciousness. They're basically themes that I've extracted out of these interviews. When I say themes, you know, important things that were redundant in a sense. You know, people kept saying, yes, I I no longer feared death. I had a different experience, a change of consciousness. I had an altered state of consciousness. I I got a a new view of the cosmos. You know, and that kept coming up, these important themes. There are basically, I think, about 26 common themes that I pulled out of all these interviews. And I also, you know, I've done a lot of reading as, since I've been a kid on other historical um, landmarks or, you know, um, experiences of people going to other planets. You know, the Billy Myers story, the right. Claude Virilian and you know, a Damsky and all these other people. And I, I pulled themes out of there too. And I was saying, wow, this is really fascinating that, you know, what this experience did for them. You know, go ahead. Did you find them credible? Well, you know, you know, of course I find the experiences credible. I, first of all, I, when you say, I guess you're talking, can you be a little more precise on which Do you feel that the people were telling the truth? No, the seven, you're talking about the seven people that I interviewed, or do you mean the historical events? No, the folks that you interviewed. Well, yes, I think all of them are creditable because of their ability to articulate was just so precise. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I am a psychologist, and I, I am somewhat experienced in, you know, and I think people could be lying, and they could have been lying, but, you know, I'm kind of hard to fool in that sense because sure. of my experience of working with people. I'm 57 now, and I've worked with people for over 30 years in different types of capacities. And I, I got the sense of talking with these people that, you know, if they were lying, they were doing a really good job because it was just, there was so much, you know, not only was the articulation clear and precise, but there was emotional content with it that, also suggested that it was an important thing that happened to them. Right. And it was, uh, you know, it was pretty convincing, you know, and, but I wasn't there to, you know, I wasn't a, trying to unravel if they were trying to f be fraudulent. You know, I just wanted to see, cause I don't think, 
Well, I guess some people could, you know, sit down with me for two hours and talk nonstop about their experience on another planet. You know, I just haven't met too many people that have been able to do that with me and keep the same story. Right. Right. So usually, you know, there are, you know, there's, you know, you probably have heard the term fantasy proneness and things like this, yes. but, um, you know, and I've worked with some of those people too, but getting back to your question, do I think they're creditable? Yeah. I think that these people do believe that this has happened to them and they were willing to use their name, you know, which I thought was creditable, you know, and saying, yes, I did, you know, and you can, in the beginning when I, you know, did these interviews with these people, I, um, all except for Ingo Swan, um, we were doing it anonymously. You know, they didn't have, I didn't want them to give us. I would know their name as the researcher, but in the dissertation process, right? You use a you know a code name so that their their true identity is not revealed. So I took some of those interviews from the dissertation and made it into a book. And I called these people. I said, you know, I really enjoyed working with you. I, would you be interested in using your, you know? your full name and uh, in regards to your experience on another planet. And they said, yes, I would be. So, you know, I thought that was interesting um, that they were willing to come forward, you know, in a greater capacity because I'm sure there's going to be people that um, are not going to believe them. You know, they're not going to find them credible and they're, they're just going to have to adjust for that. What were some of the common themes and what they experienced and what they saw? Oh, boy. Well, that's, you know, like I said, I think there was, you know, about 26. But, you know, I can tell you that, um, well, I guess we can start with, you know, like I said before, everybody was able and capable, you know, of articulating a really deep, rich, and meaningful narrative. You know, it wasn't like, eh, it was kind of like this and that, you know, and well, I'm not really sure. You know, I was like, no. I would summarize, maybe I didn't know the name of where I was, but I was definitely on a, another planet that had brown earth, because I was getting, the more I would talk with them, I would ask them more precise type of questions, you know, to be more accurate and really what they were sensing, feeling, and seeing. And they were all just so articulative, and I really, you know, appreciated that, of course, too. Um, so that was one important theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the other important themes were that, you know, they they all felt that they were mostly positive experiences. Nobody was like, these weren't alien abduction experiences. That was like, okay, yeah, I was we have to ask really define that. No, none of these are alien abduction experiences. So these people were, this was a positive experience, or they were mostly asked if they wanted to do this, or they, you know, asked if they could go, um, you know, and it was all pretty much reinforced, you know, and supported by, um, I think, um, communication that was acceptable for both. So that's why I think the positive experience came about because they resonated, you might say. You know, there was like a tuning fork, you know, it was like they, there was something there that they both wanted to learn from each other. Well, I was going to ask you that. Was there some kind of lesson that was being imparted by the beings or whatever they were encountering on these trips? Well, you know, most of them, of course, you know, Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, that's the first one, the Apollo Samadhi, you know, he's not saying that, you know, he did not say he met extraterrestrial beings on that trip, you know, so, 
that's you know in the camp. But the rest of the pe- most of the other people were saying you know that they you know had experienced some of that. But also, I guess the main topic, that, which was you know one of the other themes, was that they all you know all the participants believe that there's other intelligent life forms in the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, even Edgar Mitchell stated, you know, he said something like, you know, I have no doubt about it. You know, he was positive about it, but he did not, you know, be explicit about that, about his journey on, with me. If he ever has had contact, we didn't talk about that. Uh-huh. Now, you got to look at this, too. You know, another important theme, you know, about being, all of them have been inside of a spacecraft of some sort. Right. You know, Edgar Mitchell was inside of a U.S. spacecraft. You know, <laughs> so they've, you know, so it's interesting, you know, the way to look at it. You know, all of them also revealed, you know, what the landscapes looked like when they were on these other places. You know, did they uni- did they universally get the? And I guess that they would. Did they universally give the perception that whatever race or whatever kind of creatures these were or whatever entities that they were extremely technologically advanced? Yes, every one of them that had experience with extraterrestrial beings uh, were very explicit that the beings were much more advanced than we are. And, and universally, th- these all seem to be benevolent. I'm, I'm assuming that these are different. Uh, I mean, all. I mean, Edgar Mitchell aside, the other six, they were all different entities in different places they were taken. Well, we got to limit that too. You know, besides Edgar, um, Ingle Swan, the remote viewer, we did not talk about extraterrestrial experiences with that. That was he wanted to keep that very scientific on his remote viewing experience of Jupiter, and so we got to leave him out too. Okay. So we got five now. We're talking about you know those five. Yes. Um, you know, they were very explicit about you know particular beings being very intelligent and. Benevolent, like you said, yeah, they they weren't. They had no indication of doing harm. So, what did, what is the? Uh, I mean, I guess from your standpoint, what is the lesson that we can take from this? That that we need not fear the. You know, there's always these kind of memes that are out there. If you remember the old sci-fi movie from the fifties, uh, the day the world stood still, the idea of the invading aliens who are going to come down, and there's going to be some kind of military confrontation which we lose unless you watched independence day and um and and that's the way that it's going to go down yeah uh, if there is a more direct massive contact is it is there some lesson about how really a uh, kind of melding would go on a disclosure if you would uh any any thoughts on that well my thoughts on that would be that you get back what you put out, you know, almost like karma, you know, it's, um, if you want to attract violent warlike beings, you can, they're out there. Um, if you want to attract more benevolent type beings, they're out there too. And you can attract them is really, you know, you want to, you know, if you want to think about this at an individual subjective basis is that hopefully you'll want to attract the more benevolent beings. And they're there, and they'll they'll be of service, you know, basically. Um, when I say be of service, they want us to be more evolved. Okay, there's no doubt about it. From every one of these interviews that I had contact, they want us to evolve, but they don't want to get in the way of that also. When, they, when I say get in the way of that, we have to keep experiencing what we're experiencing here, but they want to shift consciousness, and the way to do that 
why they are appearing to some people and maybe not to all is because they're picking, I think personally, I think they're picking people that they think can help in the, the massive rays of consciousness. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a long wait, you know, for some people, maybe lifetimes. One thing uh, that's mentioned is a loss of the fear of death, which I think is interesting. Why, why do you think that is after these experiences? Well, because these people don't feel like they're really dying. It's just a shift of consciousness, you see. It's like, you, just, you know, I think one of the experiences said it really well. He says, well, I'm just in this container for what, you know, maybe 100 years? And right. then I get another one. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, it's as easy as I can put it. It's like they're not attached to their physical form and either are the extraterrestrials. So they've learned that. And, and how, do they, how do they live their lives differently after this? How do they live their life? Oh, well, well, I think I mentioned that in the common themes. You know, they're more of service. They feel like they have a message, you know, and I, thought, I saw this listed in the book. You know, I, I think I called them messages for humankind, you know, and, um, you know, how they're trying to lead us into a, a new state of consciousness. And, you know, a lot of the experience we're just saying, like, Let's get on with it. You know, let's move into these higher worlds and be with these beings. What, what's the problem, you know? Right. But it's not that easy for some people. I mean, this is a, a difficult task, I think, for people that, let's say, are really fear-based. You're talking about fear before? You know, it's like being a fear of whatever, being in fear of fear, you know, how it just cripples people. And this is something that I think humanity needs to work through as their own personal fear to get to where this needs to go. Um, now let's say that someone out there wants to, and I don't know, this may be a silly question. Um, somebody out there wants to initiate contact. Uh, uh-huh. is there a way to do that? Did any of the people that you talk to, is it something that just, uh, excluding, uh, Edgar Mitchell, uh, is it something that they kind of initiated or was it just, it happened upon them? Okay. Well, that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, to answer that is like start acknowledging that there could be other intelligent life in the universe. It's a good place to start, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, I know like when I was doing my investigation and research on this topic, you know, I did it for over 10 years. The people that I gave me the most information were the, I'd ask a simple question, like, have you ever seen a UFO? And what the reply would be is how I would get more information. The reply was, oh, that's crazy. Who would ever believe in that? You know, I'd move on. But then I'd have people say, yes, you know, about six years ago, I seen some, I was looking in the sky and I seen some movements that I could not explain. It wasn't a star. It wasn't an airplane. It was erratic movement and it shifted quickly and it just caught my eye. And ever since I've had that experience, I've been bewildered. You know, when I'm finding out about a lot of those people that had that kind of experience, that was their first contact. And so after that, they became more aware. And then they said, well, maybe there is other intelligent life in the universe, and maybe that was a sign of it. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that UFOs are all extraterrestrially piloted also. And a lot of extraterrestrials don't need a UFO. don't need a machine to fly around in. Right. So you got to talk about these, you know, other dimensional beings that don't utilize UFO. They don't utilize spacecrafts. 
so there's a lot of different levels here you know that we're going to be you know we could speak about but so if you want to be more precise how does one start to um, maybe possibly get contact I would say you know just open your mind up a little bit take a chance and start asking yourself simple questions like could there be other intelligent life in the universe ask yourself that and work with that and then if you feel that there is then invite it in and be careful what you invite in invite in you know benevolent type beings to have contact with don't just say oh i want anybody to contact me okay no you got to be precise it's like setting boundaries with people that we do here right now right Right. I mean, probably, you know, when you go to the bar and you see some guy drunk and he's getting violent, I mean, is that something you want to invite into your home? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, same thing. It's really like that. You, know, you want to invite people that can actually help you and that are conscious and kind and loving beings. And I'll tell you, they're out there and um, it's very possible. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but it's very possible that a person can make contact that way and be patient. You know, something that interested me is looking through the book was you had a you have a chapter named uh, "A Stranger in a Strange Land." I thought it was interesting because it's the story of a minister who had one of these experiences. I think that's particularly interesting because that may not be something that necessarily melds with the um, uh, the uh, the biblical. Or maybe it does, the, the biblical literature. Uh, what was his take on this experience? Because I think that's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, thanks for asking that, because I just talked to Richard today. He called me today because he got a hold of my book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my book hasn't been out too long. It's only been a few weeks. So he got it, and he was just really, uh, you know, very courteous and um, you know, just saying what a great book it was. And I said, oh, thanks, Richard. So, um, yeah, Richard, you know, doctorate in ministry, you know, so yeah, he's a minister, but he also realized and he studied the Bible, you know, very deeply. I mean, you'd have to, to get a doctorate in ministry. You know? Sure. Uh, so he studied it very much so, and but he also felt there was something missing, you know, in all of his Bible work and, you know, working with scholars. And he, uh, he started reading, what was it, um, Oh gosh, I forgot his name right now, but um, maybe I can find it somewhere about bringing in, um, you know, his experience that he started reading, you know, like, uh, I forget his name, Barry. Um, maybe you can help me with that. That I'm talked about the Bible. The Bible and UFOs was the name of his book. Do you recall that book? Uh, I've heard of it, but his I name, can't okay, remember. His name is Barry Downing. Okay. It's called The Bible and Flying Saucers. And Richard really got into that. And it was, you know, Barry is a minister also, and he gave a little different take on the Bible. And after, you know, Barry, um, Richard started reading some of Barry's work, it shifted his consciousness enough to say, I can't really accept some of the things that I've been accepting. You know, so it opened his mind up to a whole different. Then he started bringing it into some of his sermons, you know, and. Um, not proselytizing as much, but just say, do you think it's possible that there could be other intelligent beings in the universe? You know, so he started, you know, he questioned his own mind and then he got answers, you know, to to help him get to where he's at now. Now, now he's re, you know, he's writing books. He's, uh, this is kind of like a wake up call for him, you know, is, 
is uh, his extraplanetary experience, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting. He also tells a story in there when he was a little boy and he met Satan. And you'll have to get the book to read that, but I thought that was an interesting, interesting story as well. Yeah, that was very interesting. I'm sure that was a scary experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so what lessons? Uh, and again, we suggest that people pick up the book because I mean, we can only scratch the the, the surface in a thirty thirty five minute interview. But, uh, but what lessons can mankind in the aggregate take from these folks who have had this experience? Do you feel? I'm sorry. What was the question? What can people take from this? Yeah. What 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 kind of lessons can we take? Well, the lessons that I think people can take, because of course, you know, I think it's good to be skeptical. There's, you know, to be a healthy skepticism, because people need to know the facts. And um, I think that people could look at these and uh, these interviews and read them, and they're going to be very skeptical, like. Because I think it would be very difficult for people to accept some of these experiences because they're not typical. And, you know, they're not talked about much. And, um, you know, they're just anomalous-type experiences. So, you know, there's a, there's a reason to be skeptical about that because let's say the person is making them up. So I just tell people, read it. Take what you can from it and learn from it. You know, take it to your belief system. What is your belief system telling you? Where do you think you fit in? There's, you know, I think anybody that buys this book, I, you know, my book is that they, they're thinking already. Right. That there is a possibility of there being other intelligent life in the universe, okay? <laughs> and I think a lot of people, especially a lot that I've talked to recently, are really coming up and acknowledging they have an innate sense of that is what it comes down to. Like not something that they had to cultivate or even, you know, create a belief system. It was just there from the earliest memory they can think of. You know, which I, I find that very fascinating. And so I think, you know, I ask people, I say, well, you know, maybe you should go back to that and see why um, you're questioning, questioning that right now. You know, what is it? Why are you questioning that reality? You know, and a lot of times after the people do their research, they'll say, well, because I was conditioned to believe that way. My government told me this. My church told me this. Um, people told me this, and that's what I believe. You know, and then, you know, I guess it depends on what age and experience people have, but usually as people get older, they start really questioning their authority. And, you know, some of the things that they were supposed to believe just didn't match up as they got older. And so that's when the questioning, you know, you talk, you know, you can call it a change of life, you know, or whatever you want to call it, you know, and people get in their forties and fifties, they, they, they need more answers. They need more meaning in their life, you know, and I think that these people and their experiences, um, what they're revealing in this book can help people find meaning in their life. I'm not saying they've got to believe everything that's in there and just saying, open up to the possibility of what they're saying. And if it could be true, what would that mean? What would that mean to you and your reality? You know, how you shift or shape your consciousness. Can you accept or even try to visualize a reality that these people are living? Well, one thing I will say is that if you look just in the last year or two, NASA has said there are many, many, many um, planets, and, and more will be discovered all the time 
that will be more Earth-like that could support life, if you look at things like the Kepler and so forth. So over time, in a way, science is starting to mesh with, uh, with a little bit of what these people are saying. Well, there you go. You know, some of these people are ahead of their time, I think. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to be the last to know if we're going to wait for NASA to acknowledge life on other planets. You know, I mean, we're going to wait forever if we're going to let the SETI project, you know, that said, you know, basically that, no, there isn't any. We didn't get any signals returned. And it's like, well, where are you looking? <laughs> you waiting for uh, radio transmissions. But um, there's other ways that people are contacting extraterrestrials, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And these are these people, you know, that I have in my book, you know, I met with most of them, most of them personally, and they're very, um, besides being very articulate, they're the kind of people that are relationship-like. You know what I mean by that? They're not afraid to, like, show you who they are, but at the same time, they have a lot of compassion and understanding. So you can really talk with them on deep issues and not have to worry about, you know, defending oneself or offending somebody. They're, they're there. You know, they're clear. And they have a lot of compassion. All the people that I've talked with were very compassionate people. And I liked that. You know, they, they had me um, right there with them. You know, and I just felt a sense of them telling me their truth. What if somebody listening tonight has experienced this phenomenon, had their own uh, XPE, what guidance would you give them? Who can they talk to? Because this is a tough thing to go talk to your priest and say, hey, I visited another planet. Uh, Who can they reach out to? What could they do? It's another reason I wrote the book. You know, they can call me. They can call the people that are in the book. They all use their real names. Call them, and they'll talk to you. You know, that's what I'm saying. These people are pretty open about talking to people about their experience and uh, just to find another side of the story, you know, might be somewhat comforting, you know, to a person that is in fear of talking to anybody about it because they're in fear of basically being ostracized from the community or, I mean, these people have gone through all that already and they're on the other side, you know, they, they risked it, they opened up, they wrote books about it, they're, you know, they're past that point and they can help others move through it too, you know, so it's, answer your question, I'd say, like I said, call me my, uh, or any of the people in the book that I'm mentioning. Well, that, that brings about a good question. Usually the last couple of things we talk to an author about on the program. Where can people find your website, your contact info, and where can people get the book? Well, the, the book is widely distributed because I have a major publisher, um, Bear & Company Inner Tradition, so it's in Barnes & Noble's uh, it's kind of interesting because my daughter, she she lives in Los Angeles, and she just sent me a picture up today. Oh, Dad, I was walking through Barnes and Noble. I got a picture of your book here. <laughs> so it's it, you know it's distributed really well right now. It's Barnes and Noble's Amazon. You know um, you shouldn't have any problem finding the book. I hope not. Or you can call the publisher directly, of course. You know and get it to innertraditions.com. Order it directly there. Um, my my email or on my website, I should say, first is thomasstriker.com. And I have a couple of interviews on there, and similar to what we're talking about right now, but even in greater depth about some of the things 
uh, in my book. And if you want to know more, it's on there. And I, in my book is all my contact information. Uh, you can certainly contact me and um, I try to definitely try to answer your questions or steer you in a direction to somebody that could answer your questions. That you don't have to feel like you're alone uh, with this type of experience because it's important that we're not alone with this any longer. Another reason I wrote the book, I didn't want people to feel alone with this experience. It's too important to be left alone. And you know, the next sequel to this book will be an international study done around the world of people that have had this experience. So it's not like just a U.S. phenomenon. It's This is a worldwide phenomenon. And uh, so I'm just, we'll just keep working on this, and it's going to grow and grow, and there's going to be more people getting on board until we're all sitting. Imagine a big, big, huge table that could fit thousands of people on, you know, a big round table, and we're all sitting there talking about this topic together because we're going to have a lot of support, and a lot of people have experienced this, and so we're not alone. Well, I think that would be a great thing to get people uh, talking about the, their experiences. That's one thing we're about in in this space and with our programs like Campfire. So, Thomas Stryker, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for your time tonight. And best of luck in getting the word out about uh, the book and uh, your philosophy. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being on your show. And thank you for listening to UFO Encounters. We appreciate very much. We hope that you enjoyed tonight's program, and we will be back next time with more great information for you. Until then, Jim Harold, we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.